Hey guys, welcome back to uh, Two Pairs of Brothers. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, I think the last episode we did was in October, and it's now almost the end of March. Uh, the world is a little bit different now uh, from uh, from last October. Uh, didn't expect the first podcast of 2020 to be like this, but you know, here we are trying to get content out during this uh, pandemic. Um, it's just me today, Afan here today. Uh, my other co-hosts are a little busy, but hopefully they'll be back next week or in the coming weeks. We're trying to get out episodes about once a week now, uh, so we'll see if we stick to that timeline, depending on how busy everyone gets. Everyone's just trying to figure out their schedule and whatnot. But uh, today is a exciting episode. It's not going to be our usual episode. Usually we kind of keep it light, kind of funny, you know, more pop culture based, but uh, this episode is all going to be about COVID-19 and, you know, to talk about this, uh, I have my good friend, uh, Dr. Mazomo Kawaja. Still, <laughs> still seems kind of weird saying that, but, uh, you know, he's worked hard and he's, he's at this point. Mazomo uh, is a first year resident at uh, Baylor College of Medicine over in Houston. Uh, and, you know, I'm really excited is here to join us. So, Mazomo, how are you doing, man? Good, man. Good. Thanks for having me, man. Happy to be of on the course, show. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Been trying to link up with you for a while. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> this is the there, this is the circumstance uh, you're presented with. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, no, of course, man. Finally on. I'd love to talk about it. I don't. I don't know all that much more than the average person, but um, happy to mm-hmm. happy to help out. For sure, for sure. I think it's just more of a conversation we're having, you know, just kind of what we see around us. Obviously, I don't think even like the experts know as much right now, just because the novelty of the virus. But uh, you know, yeah. uh, we do what we can, you know, just talk about what we what we see on the internet, you know, what the experts tell us. I just wanted to kind of start with, you know, before we kind of get into it, is how has your life changed? Uh, what what some noticeable differences in your kind of daily routine that you've noticed? <sighs> Yeah, man, a, a lot has changed. Um, I guess, I mean, like a lot of people, I think the biggest thing is, you know, trying to, <clears throat> first things first, I guess my wife and I, uh, we live in Houston. We tried to figure out how to stock up first and how to be, mm-hmm. um, how to live during this quarantine time, you know? So the first thing yep. we did was we went to the grocery stores and obviously like everything's out of stock. Um, we've mm-hmm. been trying to stock up on like Lysol hand sanitizer so that we can keep washing our hands, keep washing surfaces because of the viruses, yeah. like transmissibility is so high. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been basically cut off from all of our friends. Haven't really been going out much. The only time we go out is like, I'm, I've been working and my wife was working up until last week. Um, because yeah. Houston hadn't shut down non-urgent businesses mm-hmm. until like pretty recently so okay. we were still going i was going to work but aside from that the only outside time we had was like we would go run in the park and it was interesting we would see a lot of yeah. people in the park when we would run around something mm-hmm. that you wouldn't typically see um and um we've been coming home a good bit we came home this week because i was i was in clinic and so we were trying to we were like you know we're gonna be quarantined anyway might as well spend some time with family but basically exactly. we've just been yeah. isolated from friends haven't been going out mm-hmm. haven't been eating out at all which i really miss especially in houston it's kind of <laughs> sucked yeah i'm sure missing all that houston food yeah so just you know unfortunately trying to distance as much as we can i hope i think the whole 10 people thing is so arbitrary too yeah um, i, I so. agree completely because you just don't know like you know who out of the 10 has been meeting right. other people right uh, and, and 
everything is just, you know, it's just kind of come on to you so fast that, you know, you just don't know who's taking the proper precautions. Uh, right. Who's not, right. And, and yeah. It's kind of makes been, it more scary. It's been really sad to see how fast things have spiraled here in the U S. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll get yeah. into that more later, but yeah. What have you been doing at home? Board um, games. <laughs> um, <laughs> my friends and I, my so my brother and I, we got Monopoly Deal. We've been playing that a lot with oh, my it's my a sister. Great game. It's a great game. Uh, we're playing game. my favorite, Exploding Kittens. It's an Exploding amazing game. Also it's an amazing game. game. You got to get all the expansion sure. packs. It's a must. <laughs> uh, sure, I was sure. playing a lot of Call of Duty, which my wife does not approve of. Uh, but <laughs> new Call of Duty is fire. Uh, I also Man, got I need two. a PlayStation. I, it's so worth it. I have two um, noise canceling headsets. I don't know. I, I got an extra one. Oh Amazon my god! Me. And so it's just. <laughs> oh, my wife will be yelling at me from the kitchen, but I can't hear yeah, a sound. Your wife. <laughs> <laughs> so I love it. Um, and so I'm playing a lot more have video you played games the, the new uh, battle royale on Call of Duty. or no? I have not actually. I've just been sticking to TDM. It's been really to get popular. My, yeah, I've been trying okay, to get my okay. my KD ratio higher, man. These youngest kids are just so good. <laughs> I'm just trying on you too much. I'm, I'm currently at like the second highest, but it's it's just tough. Uh, but the best thing about the game nice. is that it's it's cross platform, so PS4, yeah, Xbox, sure. PC, mm-hmm. and then aside from that, like I've been trying to work out. Um, it's hard. Yeah, man, I know you're big into health and fitness. So yeah, how's that been I. Going? It's been tough, man. I'm not gonna lie. I like even in residency, I was. It's getting really hard to work out. But I, my wife and I, try to run as much as we can, uh, several mm-hmm. times a week. Um, and then I was doing like stuff at home, you know, like knocking out like push-ups, like, like body weight uh, type and, and body weight stuff. It's kind of gotcha. hard to do like legs and back and stuff. Yeah, at home, it is. But I got some resistance is, bands. So my yeah, bands are, so I've been sticking to I'm, as well. Yeah, my bands are coming in, but I they're coming in from Amazon, and I just read that like Amazon warehouse workers have COVID too. So I was like, oh, oh sh- I'm gonna have to lysol oh, no. that. I'm gonna have to lysol. <laughs> the lysolize my ish. Yeah. So, <laughs> so but funny. yeah, just funny. trying to stay healthy, trying to stay occupied. I'm, I guess in a way, I'm thankful that I've been working. I, I feel like people mm-hmm. who've been that stuck at home and doing the same thing. I can understand how frustrating it can be. So For it's sure. tough. I know just being so, even so close to all these family members in one confined space can get, uh, yeah. Yeah. Get pretty testy at times, I would say. Yeah. But you know, that's the, I guess we'll get into this later too. It's the, you know, the least we can do for all, all you guys out in the front lines, you know, treating all these patients is, you know, do our part and, Right. stick at home right so again uh usually our episodes are centered around you know three little topics but uh we're devoting this whole episode to corona since you're here uh and i have like these five different kind of you know questions that i've kind of formulated to center this episode around first one was kind of you know introducing you seeing how your life has been second one we can get into is you know just kind of introducing what you know COVID nineteen is for those listeners who might you know not have been doing the research on what it is might be not taking it too seriously. So I'll let I'll let you describe it. Yeah, to the sure. Best of your ability, sure. So COVID nineteen, um, they they call it the novel coronavirus. Um, novel kind of to suggest that it's kind of new. Uh, it comes from the family of coronaviruses. Um, okay. In this family of viruses, you have other viruses like 
there was something called the SARS virus, uh, which stands for yep. severe acute respiratory syndrome virus. There was an mm-hmm. epidemic of that um, several years back. I want to say it's 2003, but I don't remember the exact year, but it was in China. Yeah, I I read about that. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was kind of more confined to Asia. And then there was also another coronavirus outbreak called MERS, M-E-R-S, which mm-hmm. is the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome Virus. Uh, yep. They call it the Middle Eastern one because there was there were a lot of cases in Saudi Arabia, Middle East. I think there were also some cases in gotcha. China as well. Um, so this yeah. this COVID nineteen, this novel coronavirus, comes from that same family. Uh, so it's kind of okay. similar in terms of how it uh, infects. It's a respiratory illness. Um, from what we know right now, it kind of looks like it's more of a of a lower respiratory tract illness. Uh, and when I say that, yeah. I mean that it infects more like the deeper airways of your lungs as compared to like the upper airways. So, you know, instead okay. of more so your nose or your, your mouth or your, or what we call the oropharynx, which is like kind of like the back of your mouth and your throat, okay. it kind of infects more in like the deeper parts of your lungs. Cause as your airway goes down, it branches off into a lot more branching points and things like that. So, um, that's kind of, you know, where it comes from. Um, <clears throat> they're, they've done testing on the, on this virus. It looks like it's originated in animals. Um, mm-hmm. as you guys know, they, they think that it came from bats. Um, the, yeah. it originated in the Hubei province. Uh, I think in a seafood market in, uh, Wuhan yeah. in China. Yeah. The capital city was Wuhan of that province. Yeah. Right. And it was back in there's December. There's been a lot of conspiracy theories of, you know, if it's a laboratory, laboratory based, uh, virus or laboratory created right. virus, but I think right. that was debunked this week actually. Yes, exactly. They've done a lot of genetic testing on it and shows that it wasn't actually created in a lab. It's actually, uh, found in nature. Um, yeah, it's been come from animals and kind of infected humans, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's transmitted via, I guess I, you want me to talk about transmission stuff or just kind of, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the way it's transmitted, unfortunately, is, uh, is, is respiratory droplets. Um, so what that means is, or like, uh, I guess, yeah, basically respiratory droplets is, is that, you know, when we talk, when we sneeze, when we cough, we produce or we aerosolize droplets from our airways. And then those okay. little, you know, molecules or droplets of spit or saliva or secretions can land on surfaces. And if somebody mm-hmm. were to take those same droplets and they were to be introduced into their mouth and their nose and their airway, then that can cause infection. Um the problem with this virus is that it can survive on some surfaces for very long periods of time, uh, which is very, yeah. which kind of sucks. Um, they've done yeah. testing on it and they've seen that um, on some surfaces it can survive up to uh, two to three days. Um, okay. So I think I have a have a chart here actually. Um, but basically, what that means to say is that if you know somebody were you know to cough in their in their hand. And they were to touch a surface where the virus could, you know, stay alive on for long enough and somebody else were to touch that surface and accidentally touch their mouth, they could potentially mm-hmm. um, contract the virus contract infection. Yeah. Um, what's scary about this virus is that the transmissibility of it is not necessarily – they don't know if it's only in patients that are symptomatic. Um, and you know, in terms of the symptoms that you would see, there's a whole variety of symptoms. Um, but studies have showed that some of the most common symptoms, um, include fever, uh, cough, uh, 
Um, sometimes you see shortness of breath, runny nose. The thing about runny nose, though, is that runny nose is kind of more like an upper respiratory tract symptom. Okay. Uh, so you don't see and it that's as been often. kind of the confusion for a lot of people is differentiating this between, you know, if they have the flu or the common cold or yeah. uh, if they actually have allergies. So exactly, would you say, would you say like a runny nose is more towards, you know, something else or no? So it, it's hard. Um, so hard nasal congestion that they've in studies. So a lot of the data that we have is coming from China. Uh, so there was one okay. uh, study done there that had like a thousand patients and they saw that in those mm-hmm. COVID patients, only 5% of, 5% of them had nasal congestion. Right. So obviously okay. the sample size is really small. Um, yeah. I think that if somebody's having nasal congestion symptoms, itchy eyes, dry throat, it could easily be what we call allergic rhinitis, which is basically just seasonal allergies. I think okay. that at that point you can try to, you know, try some anti-allergy medication, see if that kind of helps. Okay. Um, I think when you start to worry is if you start to have fevers. I think that's okay. kind of like the, the point because allergies don't cause fevers. So at that point, you start yeah. thinking of more serious stuff. If somebody's having fevers and somebody's having mm-hmm. cough, then you start thinking like, okay, is this flu or is this okay. COVID-19? That's an important distinction then, there. About shortness of breath, does that come in to differentiating between so, flu or? No, so flu and COVID-19 could both cause shortness both of breath. Both have shortness of breath. Right, okay. exactly. And so then you come into the question of like, okay, you know, do these people, um, you know, need to get tested? And I yeah. think that, because <clears throat> the thing is, the treatment for this virus, like all other viruses, like flu, like the other, like SARS, MERS that I mentioned, other coronaviruses, viral illnesses are things that are transient, meaning that they don't last all that long. They don't require necessarily antibiotics. Even like yeah. the, the common flu, like you will be okay if you don't get Tamiflu. You'll be okay if you don't get yeah. anti-flu medications because your body mm-hmm. can mount an immune response and eventually get rid of the virus. That's why when people yeah. have like a cold, a common cold, we don't give them antibiotics for it because that's that's actually kind of dangerous because you can introduce resistance to other organisms resistance. and things like that. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that <clears throat> in the case of, of these patients, it doesn't really – if somebody's having fevers, cough, runny nose, things like that, it's, I feel like that's enough to they – should, they should quarantine themselves at that point. Okay. Because the thing is if they, were come, if they were to come to the hospital right, with those same symptoms, yeah. um, you know, they would get tested for COVID. And the treatment for that would be we quarantine them and then we just monitor them. And if mm-hmm. they worsen, then we would do some further things. So the main symptom that you look out for is shortness of breath and something we call yeah. hypoxemia when their oxygen levels start to drop a little bit. That's the okay. that's like the main reason that people would have to get hospitalized and get put on you know nasal cannula oxygen. Some patients, if they get really, really have respiratory compromise, they have to get intubated, things like that. We just don't want okay. their lungs to fail on them. That's the main thing that we're looking out for. But if you have, you know, as, as studies have shown that a lot of the patients that get COVID-19, they're actually, um, they actually do pretty, pretty much okay. I mean, I know the mortality yeah. rate has been very scary. It's been anywhere from 1% to as high as like, I think Italy, like seven or 8% yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to look at the numbers, um, kind of more with, take them with a grain of salt as well. 
Um, because in Italy, the patients that are dying are, are older than 70, 80, 90 years old. They're really, really mm-hmm. old patients. Um, yeah. So I think that it's important to look at some of the symptoms and try to figure out, okay, if I'm start- if you're starting to feel a shortness of breath, if you're starting to feel winded, that's definitely a time that you need to go to the hospital. But if you're just having fevers, cough, kind of mild symptoms that you feel like you can tolerate, keep an eye on it. Because the thing is, if you go to the hospital and say you do have COVID, you could be potentially exposing so many other people and expounding yeah. that whole effect of spreading it. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So I kind of want to just get into kind of the main storylines from this week, uh, where we kind of are right now with this uh, – COVID-19 pandemic, uh, United States now has a hundred close to 125,000 cases. Uh, and kind of the news this week was we have now taken over as the number one country with the most number of infected individuals, uh, taking over Italy, China, and Spain. Uh, another big issue, uh, was this whole talk about ventilators, which I wanted to kind of get in with you. Uh, you know, I know you, you told me you haven't been in the hospital yet and you'll be going back in on Monday, but you have been, uh, you have colleagues who've been treating patients, uh, other reports and, you know, big journals and newspapers about how, uh, things in New York are getting kind of bad in terms of ventilators, uh, ventilator shortages, people having to split ventilators, just kind of wanted to get into that topic. Uh, yeah. about, again, as you, as you, uh, you know, if someone's oxygen levels are, uh, going down, you do need to put them on a ventilator, uh, kind of get in this topic about ventilators. Yeah. So I think that the U S response to all of this has, has been pretty abysmal. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we're in the situation we are in right now because we were being way too reactive and not proactive towards everything. Um, we, we didn't enforce strict social distancing guidelines early enough. I think the U.S. should have at least tried to enforce lockdowns in some of these major areas a lot sooner. I remember when all this was starting, New York City had a limit. They had placed a limit of no more than 500 people in one area. I think that they, unfortunately, kind of it was a little bit loose, you know? Yeah, and, it seems uh, very loose at, in the moment now. Exactly. And we weren't taking this as seriously as we should have. The countries that are doing really well right now, they mounted responses immediately. They were able to either shut down their countries. They were able to limit. People were following instructions. And people were all on the same page. I think the big problem here is that there is a big uh, difference in terms of what you know some of the news, some of the media, some of the scientists are recommending and saying, and what our president is saying. Unfortunately, hundred percent. Because what the media we don't really get do, too political here, but I, I think you can't have this discussion without right. you know getting political to a nature. I think uh, day, I agree yeah. with whatever hundred percent what you're saying. How other countries have mounted you know defenses against the virus so proactively and so reactively. I think yeah, it's crazy. I mean, what like, everyone is saying it's it's more of like a testing issue because we could have mass testing, uh, going on in February. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. we waited until, you know, the second week of March before, you know, we started testing individuals. Right. In the and right. And even, day. even the people that we're testing right now, we are only testing the severely symptomatic people. Everyone else we're telling them to, if you're mildly symptomatic, because the thing is about this virus, you could have no symptoms and still have the virus and still you could, and, exactly. yeah, and transmit it to other people. Exactly. You could still transmit it to other people potentially. 
And we're only like, even I was, I was trying to get tested too, because I had been working around someone who had been, who had taken care of a COVID-19 patient. And I was having mm-hmm. like a little bit of runny nose, dry throat. And they're like, no, sorry, you don't meet the criteria because, oh, I hadn't traveled to China. I hadn't traveled to Iran. I hadn't traveled to a level three country at that time. This was like two weeks ago. And Which seems ridiculous now. Yeah. As we know, it's a kind of, you know, spreading within a community basis. Yeah. Now. yeah. Oh, and it's so out. strange to see like all these celebrities and all these people getting tested who don't even really even have symptoms, but they're able to get the test done because they have they're the money. Able to get the test, yeah. And, you know, it just sucks. I, I, I was talking to my cousin. He interviewed someone who's actually quarantined in Hubei province in China. And he oh, says wow. that the amount, the the response that they've formed there is incredible because China's rates have completely slowed down. Their rates of it's of, crazy, uh, yeah. And I've heard insane. they're opening uh, Wuhan up slowly and gradually. They they have tested. April. They have found a way to test everyone, even mildly symptomatic, not just severely symptomatic. And so they've tested tons of people. They've issued people, uh, government issued uh, thermometers that have a QR mm-hmm. code on them. And so these these citizens have to take their temperature every day and then they, you know, scan the QR code and then the data gets collected by China and then they wow. are able to track who has a fever that day and then they can figure out how to quarantine those people. Other wow, countries, wow. other countries have uh, like their governments have made arrangements like uh, I think in Pakistan, they've made arrangements with fo- telephone companies to track, uh, you know, who is positive and then looking at their phone records, who they've communicated with, and then who are the people that they've communicated with to see who they all have communicated with. So it kind of branches out mm-hmm. like a kind of web network and they're able to notify them like, Hey, you have been exposed potentially. And I just kept thinking about yeah. it, like, man, there's no way any of this would work here in the U S people oh, here. For sure. There's would too never... many laws, too many regulations. Uh, yes. I think the like, whole testing thing, you have to get it approved by the FDA on a federal level. Then yeah. you get it approved on a state level. Absolutely. Then, you know, people, get it approved on a hospital not, level. People would not follow that, those rules. People would be, I mean, because everyone here is all about, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, a lot of people here are out for themselves. Um, and I understand, yeah. I understand that it's a matter of like trying to survive. But the thing is like, we need to take a, think of this as like, we're all on the same team here, you know? And it's sad yeah. to see so many people hoarding supplies to the point where, you know, people in New York city, I was, I was watching interviews like nurses and staff and physicians and other people working in the hospitals are dying because there's not mm-hmm. enough protective equipment. Yeah, uh, and so they sad. have patients are coding and they have to go in and do chest compressions without any protective equipment. They're going in knowing that they're going to get infected. And it's scary because initially we were like, oh, it's just oh, it's just this virus is just going to be really bad in older patients. But now we're having patients who are 17, 20 years old, 25, 40 in their 40s, 30s and 40s who are dying from all these weird complications. People are having myocarditis, which is inflammation of their heart. People are yeah, having like the kidney renal failure. They're having like encephalopathy, which is like brain issues and confusion and things like that. It's insane, man. It's like at first I was I was taking it a little bit more lightly, I guess, because I was like, oh, you know, like I'm kind of more on the younger side. But now it's like yeah. man, we all need to to be very very careful. Jumping um, off that point a little bit, uh, so I was reading there's eight different, you know strands of this virus uh do you think it's different uh different strains of the virus that are causing these different differing symptoms because i think initially we were seeing like uh this whole older population being infected and causing all these young people you know to be like oh we're invincible we're not going to get this but now you see the data that's coming in and it's 
you know, not, you know, being biased towards a certain age anymore. Right. Right. I, I I do think that the, the different strains, whether they've been mutated, whether it's, um, just different strains that are adapting very quickly and spreading to different regions, because I agree that the variety of symptoms are, are so, um, broad, you know, like there's been things Mm -hmm. like I mentioned, like fever, cough, shortness of breath, you know, people have myalgias, which is muscle pain. Okay. That's, that's kind of like flu. But then people were reporting yeah. like loss of smell. There was one physician mm-hmm. who was infected and she was like, I lost my sense of smell for a couple of days. And there I saw people, Rudy Gobert even tweeted that. Yeah, he was yeah, yeah. It's very unusual. People, some people are smell. having diarrhea. Um, some people, it's just very, very strange. And I think that's, that's, that can be attributed to the fact that there are multiple strains. And maybe that's, maybe there's a more virulent, more powerful strain in Italy, uh, maybe weaker strains in other countries. Maybe that could explain some of the mortality rates, but of course you have to look at the demographics too and look at all the other, all the other factors that contribute to that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like, regardless of how many strains there are out there, what matters now is like, how do we, how do we approach this now? Uh, and we need more and more people to take this seriously because, (laughs) A lot of people just aren't. I feel like we have two polar opposites in this country. I've seen people going way overboard and hoarding, you know, uh, you know, people taking like 10 gallons of milk home, people taking like rolls and rolls of toilet paper. Right. They're going way overboard to the point where there's not enough left for other people. And then you have the people that are going to the beaches, people going to like festivals, parades, like. So there's we need which to is also like, incredibly stupid. Yeah, I mean it's it just blows my mind. It's so selfish to me, you know. It like is. it's not even if it doesn't hurt you, even if you're a young, healthy male or female, think about the people that you can infect. You know, you could be the reason that somebody else loses their grandparent, somebody else loses their their father, their mother, their kid, even. You know, like so. 100%. It's just it just bothers me a lot. Definitely scary. Again, coming back to this ventilator, uh, this question, uh, I see they're splitting ventilators. I kind of wanted you to explain what that means and why you can't. Yeah. Sp- I thought you can split up to four. Why can't you split more than that? Do you have like an explanation for that? So I, I've, I have kind of like limited work with ventilators in um, okay. in the ICU. I mean, I've done a couple of MICU rotations, um, but you know they are attempting to split ventilators just because you know, there's such a demand for the patients right now. And studies have shown that if you can catch these patients and put them on a vent early, it actually improves their chance of survival. So that's why they're trying to get all these machines ready because these people can come off the vent. A lot of times when you put a patient on the ventilator, you're kind of worried about, are they going to be able to come off? But a lot of these people can come off. So that's good. The, The illness can resolve. But the issue is we have to, we have to act as their lungs. Um, they have been trying to ventilate multiple people from patients, but I, I think that there has been some data that's been coming out, um, showing that it's actually worse for their mortality. If you're using ventilators that ventilate multiple people, it's actually better to use one okay. vent per person. Um, okay. in the ventilator, you can control the settings of how much pressure the patient's lungs will get, how much volume the patient's lungs will get. The ventilators have different settings in terms of, you know, pressure support, volume control, volume assist. You can completely, the machine can completely give the patient breaths or the patient can, there's some modes where the patient completely breathes on their own. Uh, and then there's some mm-hmm. modes where the patient like initiates the breath and the ventilator kind of gives the rest of the breath. Um, so there's lots of different variations. That's kind of like a very general outline of how they work. 
But I think mm-hmm. uh, I I think that this overall uh, move towards multiple people per vent is kind of dangerous. Um, and I think that a lot of the data okay. is showing that we need more vents, one per person. And I think that's why Trump is doing his uh, his. I think he's urging. He's trying to get GM to yeah, to roll the out thousand production of, act was uh, yeah. I think it was like yesterday or two days ago, and he's trying to get like thousands of vents by I think within a month or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's um, it's sad to see because so the thing for, is for like for those who don't go ahead, go ahead. No, what are you saying? Go ahead. I was saying for those who are kind of you know outside the uh, the medical realm. So why do you put someone on a vent uh, while they're uh, so well, what happens? Yeah, 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 that's a good question. So basically, um, the main things we, we start to look at is when we walk into a patient's room with COVID, you want to see how they're breathing. Um, so patients who are breathing comfortably, you know, they're they're taking breaths anywhere from twelve to twenty times a minute, right? So you can watch them breathe comfortably. Yeah. When patients are struggling to breathe, you can like visibly see that on their face. Uh, you can see them kind of gasping. There's called something called mm-hmm. agonal breathing, where patients are like they're kind of gasping, trying to get air in, uh, that can sometimes mm-hmm. be a worry. So that's a worrisome sign. Sometimes you can see patients color change. They could start to turn a little bit cyanotic or blue, bluish in color. Okay. That's because the, the oxygenated blood is decreased in their blood. So they, they basically have less oxygenated blood. So their, their face, their, uh, around their mouth, around their, in their fingertips, they can start to turn like a lightish palish color. Kind of, sometimes you can see it like light blue, they can start to use other muscles to breathe. So they'll start using like the muscles in their ribs. They'll start using their chest more to breathe. You can audibly, see, you can visibly see somebody uh, when they're struggling. So what you do Shut is you can try breath. to, yeah, exactly. So then you, what you try to do is you try to give them ways to help them breathe a little bit better. So we have different forms of oxygen supply. So we can do this thing called nasal cannula, which is like a small little, um, I guess, tubing that connects to an oxygen supply. And you basically okay. stick the things in inside your nose, um, kind of like a bull okay. ring, I guess, in a way. And yeah. that you can control how many liters of oxygen you want to give them. So nasal cannula can go from anywhere uh, from two to five liters uh, of nasal cannula. Um, okay. And, you know, if you can try that and if that kind of helps their breathing a little bit, then great. Then you can keep them on that. Uh, what we do is in order to know if their oxygen stats are OK, you can check something called a pulse ox where you take uh, this little meter and you put it on the tip of their finger and you can check what, how oxygenated their blood is. Um, So we try to keep them above, typically above 90%. You and I, you know, regular people that are healthy, we sit at anywhere from 98 to a hundred percent all the time. But typically for patients in the hospital, we just want above 90%. When people start to dip under 90%, that's when you start thinking about, okay, we need to keep them on oxygen. Um, so after the nasal cannula, if if they're still not getting better, then you can go to higher forms of oxygenation. So you can do this thing called high flow nasal cannula, which will give you more than five liters. It can give you I think up to 40 or 50 liters of oxygen. So there's different forms of oxygen you can do. And then, you know, if you try all those, all those different masks and there's patients still not getting better, then you start considering intubating these patients and putting them on a ventilator. And the reason that we do that is uh, these patients, typically you do in patients that you feel like are at the verge of respiratory collapse, meaning that they won't be able to breathe on their own. So either their lungs mm-hmm. are so crappy, like there's so much fluid in their lungs, there's so much 
whatever is causing problems in their lungs, they're not functioning properly that we have to ventilate them. Or it could be an issue of they can't keep their airway open, meaning that, you know, if they have some kind of mass, if they have something causing compression of their airway uh, and they need to breathe, you can stick a tube down there to make sure that that airway stays open. So those are kind of the main reasons we do it. So when we're worried about a patient, kind of like, so it's just more, you're giving them supportive treatment. So you buy them some time for their body to build a response. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's not necessarily like a cure for anything. It's just more so trying to, you're catching them when they're getting a little bit worse and you're trying to prevent it from, from them going into cardiac arrest essentially. Because what will happen is if their oxygen sats drop very, very low, then their heart's going to have to compensate and every all their systems will go out of whack. Right, right. So, it, and it's interesting because when you put them on a vent, then you have to think about, okay, when can we take them off the vent? And to take them off the vent, you need three things in working, uh, three things functioning essentially. You need their brain functioning, you need their lungs to be improved, and you need them to have good musculature in order to breathe. Without those three things, you'll never be able to come off a vent. So if, some, if somebody is very confused, if someone's delirious, if they have dementia, a lot of brain issues, you, typically those patients don't come off the vent. If patients have very, very bad lungs, if they don't have good lung volume, if their lungs can't expand, if they have blood in their lungs, if they have fluid, whatever it is, then they can't come off the vent. You want those things to resolve. And if their patients are very, very weak and very, very thin, I mean, when we breathe, it's our, it's our diaphragm essentially functioning, right? It's a muscle. And so when these patients can't take breaths on their own, then they can't come off. So it's a very difficult yeah. decision because like sometimes you, you intubate patients and you intubate patients knowing that they're probably not going to come off. Like they're going to be on a vent till okay. they die. Uh, and so that's yeah. when we have discussions with families about, you know, do not resuscitate and all that kind of stuff. But that's a different matter. Yeah. So do you see any of these, you know, general guidelines loosening uh, to, you know, if there's an influx of patients coming in and a lot of people need ventilators, uh, what do you do in that case? Do you see uh, people being taken off vents or? I think I, I really hope we don't reach that point. I know in Italy, unfortunately, they're having to do that. Um, and I think mm-hmm. ethicists and it's it's, an, it's a huge ethical dilemma for, for doctors and healthcare for workers sure. everywhere because... We have to essentially at at a point where, you know, you have one vent and you have two patients who need it. You have to think about who, who, who gets the vent, right? I mean, do you give it to someone who, do you give it to the first patient that comes in? Do you give it to the patient that has the best chance of survival? Do you give it to the patient who pays more, you know, these kind of things. And at the end of the day, I think what a lot of doctors have to do, and I agree with this too, is what, and if I were in that situation, I would I would give it to the person who has the best chance of survival. So if I have a 20 year old coming in and a 75 year old, um, you know, obviously I would push for the 20 year old because I think that the 75 year old, it's such a tough decision and and, and it's awful. And we're in it because we didn't, we didn't take the preventive. That reinforces all our, uh, you know, our, all our mistakes early on. And, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, we have to deal with absolutely. it. It's, I can't imagine what it's like in Italy, man. I mean, I've been hearing horror stories about how <coughs> they don't have <coughs> time to bury these bodies. You know, people are dying so 100%. fast that they're, yeah. 
having to build mass graves for people. I mean, even in New York you, City, they're bringing in refrigerated trucks now to, oh, to yeah, store the bodies. It's, you would think it's, it's, the rest of you know the country at this point would learn, or you know, or you know, the federal government would learn, you know, to take stricter enforcement. But you know, unfortunately, uh, we haven't seen that type of action. I know just a couple, you know, hours ago, New York was still not put on a complete lockdown, which seems yeah. pretty idiotic at this point. You know, seeing all the yeah. data we have, all you know, yeah. the public health officials, all you know, the experts, the scientists telling us giving us warnings on, you know, what could be and trying to, to prevent the dilemma we were just talking about. But, uh, I, 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 what I, I guess what confuses me is that I don't really know why our government is, is delaying the shutdown or the lockdown. I I thought maybe it was because they're worried about the economy. And I I get that. I totally understand that the economy has totally tanked. Mm -hmm. Um, and they're trying to pump, you know, billions and trillions of dollars back into our economy, which, I mean, I, I'm glad that they're trying to, to help out those people who've lost their jobs. I think it's great. Um, but at the same time, like, I feel like a lockdown was such an, it, it should yeah. have been done so long ago. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's trying to um, not cause panic. Maybe he's trying to get people to just yeah. stay calm. But the thing is, like, you can't, you can't just pretend like it's not there. And him acting yeah. like as though we're doing a great job. I mean, yesterday I saw his news conference. He was saying, Dr. Uh, Mr. President Trump was saying that, you know, we he's we're doing a fantastic job, and and hydroxychloroquine <laughs> is going to save us all. And he's like blatantly, he's he's wrong about a lot of stuff. Um, and the thing is, people will believe him though. It sucks, but people will it's, believe it. It does suck, and that's kind of one of some of the tragedies that have come, you know, full circle in this. Uh, in this time is that people are just believing whoever they want to believe. There's a lot of misinformation being spread. Uh, uh, and people aren't listening to, uh, you know, who they should be listening to. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty sad. It is sad. I mean, he's been harping on the whole fake media front saying that, you know, fake news has been after him and he's created this, this, um, adversary in the media. And so people now just completely distrust, they completely distrust the media and, and I agree that like, you know, you have to take all the information you get, uh, cautiously, you need to do, you need to check your facts. You need to make sure that you're getting it from a credible source, but not all sources out there are corrupt. Um, yeah. I don't think that this virus is, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. I don't think this virus was created up by anyone in particular. I don't think it's necessarily has any political, uh, agenda. I think at the end of the day, regardless of whatever started it, it's not going to change the fact that we need to we need to take care of this right now. You know, we can figure all that other crap out later. Um, what we need to do now is try to figure out the best way to slow it down, and the best way we can do that is if we're all on the same page. And I think because our leader is not on the same page as a lot of our state governors, a lot of our healthcare workers, there's always going to be people that just don't believe in all of this. Um, so. Yeah. I think one positive that has come out of this is a lot of these, uh, you know, I guess celebrities, you can call them, are using their platform to inform others. I know uh, Steph Curry was with uh, uh, with Dr. Fauci, who's, you know, the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. The other day he was on their Instagram Live. You know, mm-hmm. Trevor Noah was with, also did an interview with him. Philip DeFranco is a popular YouTube show, did yeah. an interview with him. So yeah. I think 
that's a positive that has come out. Uh, you know, Carl Anthony's Towns' mother was uh, placed yeah, on a ventilator. So I think um, there, it's a definitely a tough time for everyone, especially those like Carl Anthony Towns who have you know family members who are affected. But it's it, I'm glad to see that they're at least using their platform, you know, to try to you know disseminate as much you know correct information as they can. Yeah, and yeah it's I think tough because something. you know you have the president saying something else, and then you know his scientists, you know, completely contradicting him in those same news conferences. So it is tough, you know, to yeah. uh, to kind of combat that. Uh, and unfortunately, as you were talking about, he he was trying to save the economy. I think that was his motive, but I think he's trying to you know dip his toes too much into two different battles now: is it saving the economy or saving you know the health of the nation? Unfortunately, you can't do both now since the testing you had the testing debacle early on uh, yeah. the economy is going to tank now regardless of what happens now it's about saving yeah. lives i mean the, i i really hope what i'm afraid of is i don't want him to try to open things up by easter um yeah i i think that we are still a long ways away from that um and it, it's weird because I'm, I'm just sitting around every day i'm like man what are we waiting on you know like what exactly is the end goal? I think a lot here. of people have that same question, honestly. You know, yeah. It's, and I was thinking why, about what's it. I the think, delay? I think because I mean they were talking about it as like you know one thing that we could be waiting on is herd immunity, meaning that everyone gets the virus and mm-hmm. everyone develops antibodies to it and is gets you know cured of it or whoever gets cured of it, um, and then that's kind of it. And then we'll be kind of resistant to it for a little bit. But the issue is that you know, there's that some a lot of people being affected, right? Right, a lot of people can be reinfected. Uh, I think there's another mm-hmm. surge going on in China of reinfection, and you know, it just mm-hmm. it could be that could also tie into the fact that there's multiple strains of this virus. Yeah, so that's one thing. And then I was like, okay, well, we're not exactly waiting on a vaccine because the vaccine's at least 12 to 18 months away. I mean, that stuff mm-hmm. takes forever to develop, and I and I and I completely understand that. I mean, as frustrating as it is, you can't expect. Yeah. A vaccine, a safe vaccine to just roll out. I mean, it takes months and yeah. months of testing and animals, humans, um, and therefore going a lot of animal testing as well, which is, is kind of dangerous, you know, to think about mm-hmm. like being a human test. Uh, and so I want to make sure that it's safe. And then 100%. the other thing is like the treatment trials, obviously, like there's a lot of drugs that they're trying um, but again, if there's multiple strains. So I think that the biggest thing right now is for us to try and slow it as much as we can. And I think that the thing we're waiting on now is, is for testing. If we have ubiquitous testing, if everyone can get tested easily, that'll mm-hmm. help a lot. And then, then we'll know who to quarantine for how long. I think that'll be a huge win for us. Yeah. If we can all get tested very quickly, because right now it's like, it's reserved for very, very select. hundred percent. Um, I think the, the meantime, argument against, yeah. The argument against the the herd immunity thing is you're basically sacrificing your older population in America. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna survive. Go. That's gonna yeah. be like two three million deaths just on your hands right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Even if you develop this herd immunity, so I, I was reading this article where they had like you know the three approaches you could have done. Uh, I think that like one of them was completely out of the window because we reacted too late. The second one was this herd immunity thing, but again, you have to weigh weigh the cost which is unfortunately risking so many lives especially these older individuals lives right. and the third yeah. thing you're mentioning is we have to just slow it down you know again this this word of you know flattening the curve social mm-hmm. distancing all these you know mm-hmm. the words of 2020 if you may 
but you know they're 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 very important you know we say it so much wash your hands uh, flattening the curve social distancing but that's exactly what i think people like you need is you know not crowded hospitals something positive on the testing note that was announced on friday was you know this company called abbott laboratories that Mm -hmm. developed a test Mm -hmm. uh that you can get a positive test within five minutes Mm -hmm. negative within i think 13 minutes and they're committing 50,000 tests a day hopefully within like five million in the next month Mm -hmm. so i think we are slowly getting to that point and i think until we're to the point where we're kind of caught up on our on the testing base we have to you know stay inside right uh, right exactly we don't infect other people exactly and i know it's it's a tough sacrifice for some people to make i know like people are going a little bit crazy but it it makes a huge difference and i really do uh commend all the people that are doing it i mean i saw i've seen a lot of people not taking it seriously but i've seen a lot especially in houston taking it very seriously uh people with masks Mm -hmm. people with gloves i mean i was working in clinics and we were calling patients like hey don't come in this week and they're all like thank you like we were kind of worried and so yeah, I mean, people are, are doing the right thing. You know, you, you we're all mm-hmm. we're all in this together. And at the end of the day, like if we keep our distance and we make these sacrifices for now and just be patient, I think I think we can come out successful on the other side. It's just going to take uh, a little bit of time. Yeah, and if we do take the precautions now, we can hit our peak earlier, and you know everything can go back to normal. Right. Soon. Right. Exactly. And I think people. I think that's the biggest thing people need to understand is. You're not going to see your results immediately. The, the numbers are going to look grim, uh, no matter what you do right now. Yeah. But you know, as, as if everyone does their part, you're slowly going to see improvement. You're slowly going to we're slowly going to hit our peak, and then slowly it's going to start declining, and we can get back to normal. Yeah, man. I I, I really hope we we get there soon. Um, but it's just going to be a very interesting next few months. It is, and it's, it's such a weird time. It's affecting, you know, literally every single person in, in a different way. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's crazy. You know, obviously, the small virus in the other part, of, all the way on the other side of the world, has now made it into our own backyard. You know, it's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so and crazy. It speaks to the interconnectedness of the world. Like we're so oh, interconnected 100%. with everyone, which is cool, but in a way, like um, it shows how fragile we can be too at times like this mm-hmm. well, i don't want to keep you too much longer but uh, i appreciate your time on here uh one yeah, thing we do do and every podcast is we do a little song of the day so <laughs> if you have a song in the mind i'll put a clip of that song so people can check it out what have you been listening to bro uh i have been listening to um this song called disco eyes by manila gray you heard it? I have not heard it, but uh, I will <laughs> yeah. be looking this up and putting a clip of it, so I'm sure. It'll be very All good. right, man. Yeah, Disco Eyes, Manila Gray, man. It's, it's pretty good. Shout out to Adil. He actually showed me this song. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. so I'm going to play this clip and uh, we'll exit out on this note. So here's right, Disco man. Eyes. Thanks, Mazul. Thanks, man. They say, Queen, tell me what I'm here for. Reaching for my phone, been a minute since I hit it, let me hit it 